Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the seminar, Jesus through the Middle Eastern eyes. Last webinar, we talked about the context of Jesus through the Middle East. This webinar, we're gonna talk about the customs of Jesus as a man. And the next one, we're gonna talk about the culture of Jesus, Jesus as a rabbi. But we're gonna focus today about Jesus as a man. We're gonna focus about the customs of a Jew growing in the first century in Nazareth. We're gonna talk about the historical Jesus. It is very important to understand Jesus as a man. When you think in the West about Jesus, you only think about the spiritual Jesus first, and then you think about the historical Jesus, or first you think about the theological Jesus. But I can tell you with confidence today, we can differentiate between the historical Jesus and the theological spiritual Jesus. And if you want to grab hold more of Jesus and his teaching, you should learn better about him as a man, as a historical figure. And when you know him as a man, as a historical figure, you will know him deeper in a spiritual level. So it's all connected. So the question here that we will answer, can we understand the historical Jesus of Nazareth? So who was this man, Jesus? And of course, let us read from scripture about this man. Hebrews 2, 17, 18 says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make expiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered and been tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. So Jesus suffered, okay? He was a man that suffered and tempted. But look at verse Hebrews 4.15. For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So the man Jesus, he was tempted, like we get tempted, but he was without sin. So he was completely human. Matthew 21, verse 18. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he was hungry. So he was a man like me and you. We get hungry. We get tired. And look at the next verse, John 4, verse 6. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, weird as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. He was walking all the way from Galilee, Nazareth, all the way through Samaria. And he get weary, tired, physically tired. And the Jews who came with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he said, where have you? They said to him, Lord, come. So Jesus wept. Jesus cried. 
like a completely fully a man. So who was this man, Yeshua? I want to read for you from scripture, all right? And read for you and focus on one verse because you, you probably read this scripture many times, but you could not see it. And I'm going to take it back to the Hebrew. So it says that in 1 Timothy, we're going to read about it. It says verse 3. This is good and please God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to the prophet's time, to the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not playing, lay, lying and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentile. So here to focus on verse 5, the man Christ Jesus. You have heard the scripture a lot, but has it occurred to you that one key word in this text, the man Christ Jesus. In Hebrew, it says, Haish Yeshua HaMashiach. Haish. Ish comes from the root letter, which means human, which means a man like me and like you. And a human in Hebrew means weak because he is in the flesh. That's the Hebraic meaning. Haish. Haish means a human being that is weak. Because all of us, we are weak. A man, Christ Jesus. The man, Jesus, I has hinted earlier, often we lose sight of him as a historical figure. Because we get always in the theological Jesus. Now, it's not wrong. It's great to know the spiritual Jesus. And always to think about the spiritual Jesus. but. It's very important also, equally important, to know the historical Jesus as a man. And because what we read in Scripture, he is alone the mediator between God and us. In Aramaic, like in Hebrew, it's Ha'ish. In Aramaic, Bar Anush. Bar in Aramaic means son. Anush means weak human we are weak human beings but the difference jesus never fall in sin let us read more scripture mark 14 67 and when she saw peter warming himself she looked upon him and said unto thou also waste with jesus of nazareth so we know this man Jesus of Nazareth, he grew up in Nazareth. He was born like a Jewish kid in Bethlehem. He had his childhood in Nazareth. He had his ministry as a rabbi in Galilee. 
and then he went to be crucified in Jerusalem. So he is completely a man. Now, today, we know how he spoke. We're going to learn more also about his lifestyle. We also learned about the languages. And scholars today know exact, like, the words that Jesus used. We know sentences that Jesus spoke from his own mouth today in Hebrew and in Aramaic. So as we want to behold this man, we need to go back to his birth to appreciate the fullness of his Jewishness. Actually, as I said, he grew up in a Nazareth. And it's a town, but actually it was a small town, all right? And actually it was a village. It's like a place that you can't find even on a map. It's a tiny place, Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua, Menetzeret. Yes, I want to tell you, it's very possible to know Jesus of Nazareth, even from 2,000 years ago. And the good news that I bring you, I can tell you with confidence that today we can know Jesus the man. And the scripture is so clear about it. This is a picture here of Nazareth. And this picture is taken from 1893. The women that are getting water from the well. Because it's very important to understand Nazareth, where Jesus came from as a child. Here there is a map. And in this map in Galilee, you see the Sea of Galilee here. You see the Golan Heights. But anyway, you see in the center of Galilee is a tiny village called Nazareth. So Jesus grew up as a child, as a boy here in this town. Then he moved to Capernaum, which is nearby Tiberias here on the Sea of Galilee when he grew up. But let us mo talk more about Nazareth. And there's a saying in the Bible, can anything good come out of Nazareth. Why do you think that? Because Nazareth was far away, was a small village, far away from the main route. And if you look here, this is the main route. There's a Via Maris that comes all the way from south, from Gaza here, and go all the way up, all the way up, and bypasses Nazareth. So they, from the Jezreel Valley here, the road comes and bypass Nazareth, because no one cares about Nazareth. Weird religious Jews live there, small religious families, not important. And then it continues to Capernaum, that is important, and go all the way up to Damascus, and from Damascus all the way to Mesopotamia. So nothing good come out of Nazareth. It's not on the main map, and it's not an important town at all. By the way, this is a picture of Nazareth from the 19th century. And it's built on the mountains, surrounded by mountains. But look how small is that village in the 19th century. And imagine, in Jesus' time, it was smaller, all right? So this is 10 acres, probably, and that's in the 19th century. Imagine 2,000 years ago. Today, it's way much more. All these hills are surrounded by homes today. And today, there are more than... Uh, 85,000 population of Nazareth. But look how tiny it was, even smaller in Jesus' time. So Nazareth was small. 
We know that because of discovery of tombs. We discovered a lot of tombs in this area outside uh, the first century Nazareth. And because they were chiseling the soft limestones from the bedrock, and we know that the tombs are the limits of the city. So we have tombs in the northern side, we have tombs in the southern side, so it's surrounded by tombs. So the tombs is the boundaries of a city. You always bury outside inherited areas. So perhaps only not more than 10 acres was Nazareth in Jesus' time. And we see steep ravines here and ancient terraces or it's all farming with slopes. And it can say like an oval-shaped settlement. And Jesus grew up as a kid there. And in order to know more about Jesus as a man, we have to go all the way back to his childhood, even, even before his birth. Because Jesus grew up in a devout Jewish home with observant Jewish parents. And it was a time of a great turmoil because your mom and dad are very pious. They were observant Jews. It was tough for them because they were under occupation. I want to tell you a little bit about the geopolitical situation, a social glimpse of Galilee of the first century where Jesus grew up. Just to tell you, it was an agriculture farming town. And it was time of crisis. We know about Herod the Great had died for BCE, so the family had to come back from Egypt and to go up to Nazareth and live in homes like this. Simplicity. Farming. And after Herod died, three of his sons ruled the area. Herod Archelaus ruled the area of Jerusalem. Herod Philippi, the Golan Heights. And Herod Antipas, Galilee. So here, it was under occupation. And when you're under occupation and you're farmers, you pay so much taxes. And you build your, like... You have your livestock between the spaces of the houses. And Nazareth would have a population of around maybe 300, at most 400 in the first century. So we can say it's a hamula, extended families. And they have also a setting of clusters of little communities. And they didn't have private homes like people have today. So everyone knows each other. It's a community. And you live in a compound and you have to work the fields and everyone knows each other. So probably that was the same tribe that people live together and religious Jews. So nothing good come out of that. What a religious Jewish town who cares about in the middle of nowhere. But we know about Herod Antipas. That king was very, very, very cruel, like his dad even. And we know that he built another city called Sipori, just about three miles from Nazareth. And it's a major cosmopolitan city. Also, he built another city called Tiberius and named it after Caesar Tiberius. So Herod Antipas has built a lot of Hellenized cities, Roman cities. And of course, some Jews decided to go and live in the Hellenized towns, but other Jews said, no, we're going to stay in our tiny villages. We might go and work there, but we will not live there. And probably Jesus, as a young child, he would go so many times to Tsipori with his dad. And Tsipori was like only three miles on a donkey early morning, going to be like a few hours. So Jesus would go with his dad. Jesus would help his dad in construction. So Jesus was 
not a carpenter or his father was not a carpenter you always build in nazareth there's always limestones around and remember jesus saying i am the cornerstone lay your hominis lay your house in a strong foundation so he knew a lot about construction and actually the hebrew name and the greek name is tekton tekton literally means a constructor and not only a constructor so we know joseph was not only handyman he was like an architect he was responsible in big projects and he probably will take his son with him as a boy yeshua will go to tsipori to learn from his dad about construction. Here we have some coins from Herod Antipas that ruled between 4 BC after the death of Herod the Great to 39 AD. And this is where Jesus' time was born. This is where Jesus grew up under this occupation, under payment of so much taxes. And Josephus Flavius, the famous Jewish historian who was also lived after Jesus, a little bit after Jesus, 40 years after Jesus, and he tells us that Herod Antipas collected so much gold from the poor region in Galilee. So there were so much tax collectors, publicans, reporters, and taking from these simple Jewish homes. And it was under occupation. When you're under occupation, you lose your identity when you're under occupation. You work hard and don't get much income. So that was the situation where Jesus come from. There is no freedom as a boy. By the way, we find outside Nazareth, nearby Cana, a stone quarry. And we find a workshop discovered. And this workshop was all of stones. So the father of Jesus was a handyman. He was a craftsman, a tecton, what we call a stone worker. And recently they discovered, recently, this location nearby Nazareth of a huge quarry, stone quarry, chiseling stones for construction. In order to understand the man Jesus Christ, I want to explain for you the kind of villages in Galilee in the first century where Jesus grew up. We said like Nazareth, it was a very simple Jewish village, very tiny, 300, 400. And all these Jewish towns were recently built by the Hasmoneans. The Hasmoneans. So when Jesus was ministering around, these towns would be 90 years, 100 years at most. So Capernaum, Chorazin, Bethsaida, all of these were founded by the Maccabees. And uh, this is when they made it Jewish again from the Gentiles. And then later came the first century Jesus time. Maccabees was second century BC, Jesus first century. So there were three kind of Jewish town, of uh, towns in the first century. First, the simple Jewish towns. Then we have the Roman pagan cities, like the Decapolis here, the Roman ten cities, huge Roman cities, completely Hellenized, like Caesarea Philippi. And like Gergesa in this area. And also we have Hellenized cities. Like Sipori, we said, was a Hellenized city. And like Tiberias, another Hellenized city, which means Jews accepting to live under the Roman control. But the small Jewish towns where Jesus came from, like Nazareth, they refused. 
they continued to be under occupation and they continued to worship the God of Israel and continued paying taxes. And it was into this world that Jesus came to a tiny little village of Nazareth. Farmers, shepherds, based ex on extended families, on traditions, they suffered because of the taxes they have to pay. In fact, probably half of one's income every year was lost either to taxes or even what was harder for the Jewish families, that they have to go to Jerusalem, to the temple as customs, and pay also another taxes on the road. It was very tough, not easy to live under occupation. But I want to go back also more about Jesus as a man. To understand him and to grab hold of him, we have to go even before his birth. Let us read from Matthew 1, 20. And the angel said to Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now, in English, in English is not clear, but in Hebrew, it's different. It's like an order in Hebrew. So in English, King James translation uh, can be clear, but culturally, the customs, let me explain for you. What it says, and you shall call his name Yeshua. In English, you will not understand that this is a direct order from the angel Gabriel to Joseph. It's a must. You shall call his name Yeshua. So here is the angel appearing first to Joseph in a dream and second to Mary, right? And he giving them orders and the angel make it like, you shall call his name Yeshua. Let me go back to the Hebrew. The Hebrew says, Vitikre et shmo Yeshua. Not Jesus. Call his name Yeshua. Vitikre. Now, Vitikre is a direct order in Hebrew. You shall call his name Yeshua. Direct order from the angel to Joseph. And in Hebrew, names have levels. And why I'm saying Yeshua? Why the Gabriel angel said Yeshua? Because the names is related to your calling. The names is related to your identity. Jesus, as a young kid, he had a calling even before his birth for his identity to be released through his name. But it's not the name itself. It's the meaning behind the name. Let me explain another level. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel. You see, this is the same angel. This is a prophecy 700 years before Jesus' birth from the same angel, Gabriel, to Isaiah. And it says the same Hebrew, and you shall call him Emmanuel, but not Yeshua, but Emmanuel. So it's the meaning of the name. Emmanuel means God with us. So it's not about the name itself that is magical. It's the meaning behind the name in Hebrew, Emmanuel. So this is the Hebraic way of speaking. What is Yeshua? What does it mean? It means he is the one who will save. Save whom? save people 
from their sins, Yeshua, all right? From Yeshua to save. And so the angels, not only to Joseph, he says to Mary the same thing in the same Hebraic way of talking. And this is the angel appearing to Mary. And look what it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And behold, you shall conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Yeshua. So it's a parallel account about Miriam. You will bear a son and you shall call him Yeshua. And what it says next, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. So twice here, the angel is giving the name Yeshua because names are important. Any name in the Bible have a calling, have an identity. Let me go to a third level because Hebrew is into levels, names into levels. And look, there's a custom in the Bible. Remember, we're learning about Jesus as a child, as a man growing up in Nazareth. And look what in Luke 2, 21 says. And when the eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Yeshua. So why you give the name in the eighth day into circumcision? Why at that day you receive your name? It's not like in the West, you receive your name when you were born. No, you receive till today in Jewish culture, you, see, you receive your name when you get circumcised. Because when circumcision takes place, the covenant is complete. And when the covenant is complete, your destiny is released. And how your destiny is released? By you receiving your Jewish name. So, in Jewish tradition, the child's name given on the eighth day of circumcision. So, here we have a custom in Luke 2.21. This is literally a Jewish custom that extends till today. Speaking about Jewish kids in Nazareth in the first. Let me go more with the names. Now, again, uh, most scholars today know how Jesus signed his name, by the way in Aramaic and in Hebrew, but mostly he will write it in Aramaic because that was the Lunga Franca. And I just wrote for you the name Yeshua in Aramaic. And this is youth in Aramaic, sin, wow, ein in Aramaic, ein. So this is the first century way how Jesus wrote his name. And by the way, we find a lot of Oshawaris in the first century. And on these caskets of Ashores, we see these names. And any inscription found in the Middle East, it will be Aramaic. More numbers of Aramaic inscriptions has been found in the Middle East, not only in Israel, than in Hebrew, because that was the Lunga of Franca of the Middle East. And of course, when we find these names, it doesn't mean that this is Jesus' signature, but this is, we know today, how they wrote their names. And this is in Hebrew. Yud, Shin, Vav, Ein, Yeshua. And also we read it from right to left. And by the way, let me explain more. There are five common names in the first century. So 
Yeshua, like the angel called him, Yeshua, was a common name in the first century, but the calling of Yeshua was uncommon. Let me repeat. That was a common name, actually one of five common names in the first century in Nazareth and in Judea and all over the land of Israel. But himself was uncommon. So that's layers, okay? So it was not an unusual name. It was a common name. So of course, with names given in Hebrew, they were not an like by chance or by incident. It says about the character of the person, there's a meaning when you name someone. So in Hebrew, when a child is giving a name, it conveys something about their character, their identity, and even their destiny and calling in life. So we spoke about Yeshua. So when the angel says to Miriam that you shall call his name Yeshua, and he's going to be the son of the Most High, he is talking here about an indication of his identity. So he's hinting to Miriam what to expect and about his character and of his destiny, because this child will be different than the other children born in Naz living in Nazareth and born in Bethlehem, because he's the one that's going to save people from their sins. So that's the meaning of Yeshua, Yeshua. So let's go to the second common name in the first century. Joseph. In Aramaic, I wrote it, Yosef. Yosef. Youth. Wow. Sin. Fa. In Aramaic, Yosef. Hello is in Hebrew. Yud, Vav, Samer, Pe. Yosef. Literally, Yosef means Yosef. Lehasif in Hebrew, which means he will add. He is the provider. Yosef literally means the one he provides. And we know that from Joseph. He was a provider for his family. So his name became his destiny. His name is his calling in life. The third common name in the first century course Mary, Miriam, Miriam, and this is how I wrote it in Aramaic, Mim, Ra, Yuth, Mim, Miriam, and this is in Hebrew, Mim, Resh, Yud, Mim, Miriam, and Miriam, literally in Aramaic, means wished for a child. There's another meaning of it, another layer of it, Miriam, yam means sea. Mer means bitterness, sea of sorrow and sea of bitterness. She carried a lot and she pondered a lot on her shoulders. But in Aramaic, it means wished for child. In Hebrew, means the sea of sorrow, Miriam. And that was a third common name in the first century. Another common name, John, John. In Hebrew, in Hebrew, Yohanan, Yud, Wow, Het, Nun, Nun, Yohanan. And this is Aramaic, Youth, Wow, Het, Youth, 
Nun, Yohanan, Yohanan. Yohanan come from the word Yehu. Yehu means Yahuwah. Lehanin from the root means gracious. Yahuwah has been gracious. Another level in Aramaic, that's Hebrew. Another level in Aramaic, it means the one who prepares the way for something to happen, graceful to happen. So John, his name was not John in the first century. His name was Yohanan, the one who prepares the way. And that was his calling and that was his identity. Another common name, I'm speaking about all these names to give you a reason later, to go back to the calling of Jesus as a man, as his name. The last one, the fifth common name is Shim'un. Shim'un, this is in Aramaic, Shim'un. And this is in Hebrew, Shim'un, from the Hebrew, Lishmoa, to be heard. He wanted to be heard. And in Aramaic, Lishmoa, Shim'un, is that Jesus heard him. He wanted to be heard from hearing Lishmoa. And here is the Lord heard Shimon. Because he was heard so much. He wanted to be the first everything. And he wanted someone to hear him. So his name became his identity. His name became his calling. Anyway, there's a lot of language here. But so Jesus grew up as any other Jewish kid in Nazareth in the first century customs that we spoke about. Let me expand more. So Jesus, as other Jewish kids, at age five, he will start to learn and memorize scripture. His father will send him to the synagogue, to the Beit Midrash, from a young age, after like from age five, to start to memorize scripture. How they do, they're going to repeat, repeat, repeat. Memorize, memorize, memorize. Repetition, repetition, repetition. The rabbi will read scripture for them and then they will repeat after him. Reciting scripture. We know that Jesus had caught from three books. He knew Torah by heart because since he was a kid, he was learning Torah. He caught so much from the book of Isaiah, the Leviticus and the Deuteronomy. He knew Torah very well because that what they do as a Jewish kid growing in Nazareth. And at age 10, they will start to study the Mishnah. The Mishnah is the oral law. It's a commentary on scripture. And guess what happens at age 12? They become responsible. They become grown-ups. Jesus, Yeshua, after going to the synagogue and studying and memorizing scripture, I want to challenge you. When do you think Jesus as a man, he knew that he was himself scripture? When did Jesus as a man, as a child, realize that he is Torah? So probably he's sitting in the Bet Midrash at a young age, and he's reading Torah, and he's saying, this is me? Let me stretch you a little bit. Probably he did not sleep that day when he realized himself is Torah. So when this happened, it took place what we call Bar Mitzvah, because the son of the commandment, he engages Jesus as a Jewish kid 
he have to recite the Shema. That was the custom at age 12 to go to the temple of Jerusalem with his family. And when he recite the Shema, Shema Israel, he will recognize and he will say, I am responsible. I am not a kid anymore. I am maturing. I am responsible on myself and I know who am I. And what happens later? Let us read from scripture. Mark chapter 2, 41. And his parents used to go to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. So this is another custom. They have not to go only at the Passover. They have to go at the three Jewish feasts. But here it's mentioned specifically at Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. So here is another custom mentioned to know more about Jewish life of kids in the first century. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days. By the way, this is another, this is important, another indication about how his mom and dad were religious Jews, very pious. And, and the boy, Jesus, is maturing. And his parents were not 100% aware of it. The reason they were unaware because one will travel in a community. And let me explain for you. When you travel with a community, you travel together for security. And Jesus will be with his mom coming. Because as a community, you travel in a caravan of camels. Men in the front, women in the middle, and men in the back. So Jesus will be with his mom. This is a custom. And because he's underage, she's taking care of him in the middle, protected by the men in front and the back. And while they were in Jerusalem in the temple, they left. They could not find Jesus. How come after the Bible tells us after a few days, they didn't find Jesus? Because now he's maturing. And when he's maturing, he's going with his father back. He's mature. He's after Bar Mitzvah. And the Bible tells us they discovered he's not with them. So they have to return to Jerusalem. Let me read the verse for you. Luke 2, 44. But they supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey. How come? I just explained this custom. And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. This is very accurate of the custom. You see another custom we learn about in the first century. Verse 46 says, and it came about that after three days, they found him in the temple. What? After three days? Yes. Of course, it takes time to travel. If you've been in Jerusalem, going anyway back to Jerusalem is a hill. So it's going to take you a few days to go back up to Jerusalem. You know how embarrassing it was to the family, to Joseph? And to, because all the community, they have to go back again. What he was doing in the temple. He was conversing with the teachers, with the sages. He is sitting in the midst of the teachers as a young child, listening to him and asking him questions. So they have to go back to see this boy maturing. Let me read for you also, 48, Luke 2, 48, 49. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. By the way, not only astonished, they were so upset from him 
especially his mom. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Why did you do this? No respect to us. Why did you do? That was unexpected. Behold your father, and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, now this is very important what Jesus said. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Now, when Jesus said this, Miriam, Mary had a shock. She had a revelation from the moment of the angel appearing to her, telling her to tell his name Yeshua. You shall call his name Yeshua. To that moment, everything made sense to her that he is maturing. He is God. He is the spiritual Jesus, Yeshua. She couldn't say anything to him because that was a revelation. This is the first time Jesus is announcing he is the Messiah. It was really something, a huge revelation. She took his hand, got him back to the caravan, and all the way back to Nazareth. And guess what happens next? As a custom, as a Jewish custom, Jesus will continue going all the way back to study. They will study in the synagogue, in the Beit Midrash. They're going to continue studying scripture every day, memorizing, reciting. And after age 12, he will help his dad. He will grow up as other Jewish kids. The trade of his father, construction. He will work hard. He will be so busy studying in the morning and helping his dad in the afternoon. And he will continue to do this living together and continue studying Torah till age 30. And only the custom after age 30, you become a rabbi. Only after age 30, you can have disciples. This will be our next webinar, the culture of Jesus as a rabbi.